Welcome to Future Focus, the UK at Expo podcast series, where throughout the world's greatest show at Expo 2020 Dubai, we'll be celebrating the best of the UK's creativity, innovation and culture, with special guests offering exclusive insight into ways we can innovate for a shared future. In this episode, host Chloe Thomas talks to Callie Russell, founder and CEO of This Is Unfolded, an e-commerce platform with a totally new approach to selling fashion online, one that removes waste and creates a positive impact with the savings generated. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Future Focus UK Expo podcast with me, Chloe Thomas, host of the multi-award winning e-commerce masterplan podcast, In this episode, we're joined by Callie Russell, founder and CEO of This Is Unfolded. Welcome, Callie. Hi, Chloe. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here. I'm very excited to discuss the the journey you've been on, um, which leads us to This Is Unfolded, because you've had a very busy 2020 and 2021, launching projects to show how the fashion industry can become both more sustainable and more equitable. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to go down this route? I kind of ask myself that question that on a, on a semi-regular basis, to be honest with you, Chloe, as a kind of a very brief sort of background and intro. So, so myself and, and the company that I ran before the pandemic, we basically had two businesses. One side, we had our consumer's insight business, which basically helped fashion brands and retailers decide what to make. And then on the other side, we had a consumer shopping business, which was a little bit like Tinder, but for clothes. And the two combined to try to help us remove waste from the traditional fashion retail type model. Obviously, uh, as I'm sure we all know by this point, and I'm not going to talk about it for too much, but there was this little thing called a pandemic that came along, which fundamentally changed everything that was happening in retail. What it did in countries like the UK or kind of Western countries was it saw all of our stores close instantly and basically break the cycle of production. What we didn't see was the impact that that had on producing countries. So, you know, we obviously all start to think about what's happened to shop workers, furlough schemes, all of these sorts of positions. But in reality, what was happening in those production countries was significantly worse. Because what you had was you had big fashion brands and retailers cancelling the orders that they had already placed and refusing to pay for them. So in the end, something like $2 billion worth of clothes was cancelled in that way. Uh, We read an article, we read a lot of articles, but there was one that really stood out to us, which was on the BBC website had this article, which basically had a quote from a garment factory owner in Bangladesh, who said, if coronavirus doesn't kill my workers, then starvation will. Because he was basically talking about being left with nothing, because big brands, big retailers had refused to pay for orders that he'd already produced. At that point in time, we had a bit of a a rush of blood in the head. I was doing my lockdown in the Scottish Highlands. So we decided from the Scottish Highlands that we were going to try to fix this position and try to help everyone involved in it. So we came up with this idea called Lost Stock. And the concept of Lost Stock was was really simple. But in reality, the execution was mind-bogglingly difficult, (laughs) which was that all these clothes had been completed for big UK and kind of international brands. And what we would do is we would buy those clothes and we would sell them to consumers. But instead of us making money from it, we would invest that in helping the garment workers. With that, it seems quite simple, as I said, but lots of other things start to occur, which is all of these clothes at this point are in factories in countries like Bangladesh and countries like India. How do you access them? 
how do you photograph them? You know, how do you do all these sorts of different points becomes very, very difficult. So what we decided on was that we would sell people a mystery box of clothes. And every time someone bought a mystery box of clothes, we would donate to an NGO that would support a garment worker and her family for a week. That also got us around all sorts of things around, you know, the, the image rates of products, the design rates, all these same sorts of different pieces. So we were trying to find a little bit of good from this really horrible situation and help people who had been left with nothing, with no support net, nothing like that kind of came through from that. So we came up with this idea. It took us about three weeks to work up the kind of the concept, how you would move stuff around. And, you know, as tech driven people, we decided to do like an MVP. So we were like, we'll put up a site, we'll see what happens. And then we'll basically have to kind of work behind the scenes to kind of pull it all together. Our target was that, you know, um, if we could sell 10,000 of these, that would be an amazing thing to do. And we could help like 10,000 families facing hardship because of these brands cancelling that piece out. We sold 10,000 in the first five days and across the space of the following seven months we sold 125,000 and in the end we ended up supporting over 113,000 people in Bangladesh through our NGO for about a month each and we saved you know hundreds of thousands of items of clothing which might potentially have ended up in landfill were saved and sent direct to consumers instead. So yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit of a busy 2020 is maybe how I would describe it. <laughs> just a little bit. And just for very quickly for anyone listening, um, an MVP is a minimum viable product. That's when you keep it super simple. So as Callie was saying, you just put up a sales page and see if anyone buys before you work out all the other difficult stuff. I would like to put out, I had done some work. We had done a lot of work behind the scenes to kind of lay out those pieces, but we maybe hadn't done enough to to do 10,000 in the first five days for her, for her that kind of came through to it. But yes, yeah, definitely. This will work, yeah. but it's not foolproof. Correct. Which just, which clearly made the project possible, but also just makes the project even more mind-boggling. Yes, and and the thing around that is that you know we were doing this at a point of a global pandemic. So all so you know I often say to people is that you know we built a global supply chain from scratch in the middle of a pandemic. Okay, so when everything else isn't working and you know we got lots of it wrong and stuff took longer than we said it was going to take and you know all these same sorts of different pieces but we were working in the most insane circumstances where you couldn't get access to air freight there was no sea freight you know like trying to get a container like all these sorts of different pieces because of the scale as well you know the the minimal viable you know product piece that we put together around kind of the supply chain you know we blew through the top ends that that could handle on like you know on day 5 so you then have to rebuild everything again you need to find new partners new pick and pack all these same sorts of pieces all at a time when nothing is working as the way it should for her that kind of comes through but there's a rhyme and rationale why you do that which is that at that point in time as well as you know as, as hard as all of our lives have been for the last kind of 12 18 months you know this industry that so many of us are connected to and so many of us have worked in the people who are the fundamental starting block in all of it is you know is the garment workers have been left with nothing so i mean like the factories that they work for and, you know, that is because, you know, big brands, big retailers canceled these orders and refused to pay for them. And I understand why they have to do that. You know, you know, they, they always have to survive in this bit of queue for it, but it creates this problem. And, you know, at that point in time, you're just trying to do something to fix that problem. That isn't my problem to fix. But if you see a problem like that and you think you can help, then you should do everything you possibly can to help and to make a positive impact uh, if you if you can. 
It strikes me that it's one of those areas which, which in so many areas, the pandemic and all that it led to highlighted cracks as well as accelerating trends. I feel we're all coming out of it a bit more all-knowing than we were when we went in. Mm. Yeah, no, 100%. I refuse to say the words new normal, and it feels like we could be <laughs> kind of getting close to saying those words, but I, re- I refuse to use them because I don't think we could sh- can, should consider anything as normal anymore. But you're totally right. You know, fundamentally, how clothes are produced and how clothes are made is a totally broken system. Like we are still wedded to what I would consider like an old economy model of kind of push sort of thing, which is that I am the brand, I am the retailer, I'm going to make 10,000 of this t-shirt and you are going to like it. Okay. And the reason why I've made 10,000 of this t-shirt is I think it's going to sell well. Okay. Or I have someone who believes that they are good at this same sort of piece. So they're going to go for it. That kind of works when you have a relatively small number of products. But over the last kind of 10 years, the number of SKUs that brands and retailers have absolutely exploded. So we've ended up in this world where because we're using these push economy sort of ideas, which is I produce this and I push this out, but you know what? I have to do a drop every single week. So I now have to buy 200 different products every thing instead of buying 20. You end up in this position where there's just so much waste sort of thing. You know, that before all this is, you know, something I've advocated for, for a very, very long time is, you know, 54% of fashion products in the UK are sold with a discount attached to them. Okay. That to me, like the consumer might think that that's great, but in reality, that shows a broken system. All of a sudden, when you take away all of the demand, everything just explodes. Do you know what I mean? It's like an engine when all the things start pinging off it. That is what has happened here. And the way that we now look at this and you know, the way that we're approaching and, and the business that we're now kind of operating and, and kind of working on is we're basically looking at that fundamental starting place, which is to say, we need to stop doing this. Okay, right? We need to stop overproducing. You know, 30% of the clothes that are made in the world are never sold. Okay? 30% of clothes are never sold. Okay? Like the fashion industry is the second biggest polluting industry in the world that kind of comes through. It's all well and good. We can talk about, you know, moving to electric cars, all these other sorts of pieces. There's some other big industries out there that we need to change. This is one of them. And as you said, pandemic, all these types of pieces, it's, it's because you've now seen it being totally broken, you give the opportunity to say, we need to build it in a different way. We need to look at it in a different point. And that's, that's where I think consumer focus is now shifting and now moving to. Those numbers are just crazy. 30% of fashion products that are created and never sold. 54% of what's sold in terms of fashion in the UK is sold at a discount. It's just, it's just clearly broken. Yeah, it's, it's 100% broken. But it's kind of mad that it takes what's happened in the last 18 months to really highlight just how much this is. And both to, you know, you and I, we both have worked in the fashion, the e-commerce world for many, many years now and kind of knew this was going on, but not front and center with it. But it's also hit the consumers. Because I think if you know if we were having this conversation two years ago, many retailers would be going, yeah, but the consumers want, we weren't just giving the consumers what they want. And I think now we're at a point where actually the consumers in significant numbers want something different. Would you, is that what you're finding? A hundred percent. And this is the thing where basically because of the model that has been created, the problem has been hidden from a retailer or a brand perspective because of the margins that you can charge. Okay. If you've got an 80% margin, 
instantly, you don't really care if 30% of the product that you buy doesn't get sold because your margin's still strong enough. Okay, right? What then happens because you're bringing out all this new product, your sales go up, but because you're having to write so much of it off, profit doesn't actually go up at the same rate. Okay. And instantly, people just care about selling more and more stuff. They're not making any more money for doing it, but they're selling more and more stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what's the old saying? It's like, you know, revenues, like revenues, vanity, profit, sanity. Do you know what I mean? That, that kind of comes through. And it's, and it's very much the case. What I think this has done, and what I think you're starting to see from consumers, is as we realize that we're now at this critical junction of, you know, changing behaviors to protect our planet, to look after our children, like all these same sorts of different pieces, consumers' habits will change and they can understand that more. What we also have now is we have so much more access to information. And instantly, because we have this pandemic, everyone has more time on their hands to access this information. So it doesn't take a lot to go and see this, to go and kind of read the stories, to kind of go and understand it. And that then accelerates consumers' change that kind of comes out the other piece. One of the really interesting points and in, in, you know, what we're now doing is we're basically saying to the consumer, and I, I'll, I'll talk about what we do in, in a bit more depth in, in, a, in a minute, but what we're basically saying to the consumer is we will make clothes for you that are a really great price and a great quality, okay? Because we know that's a huge barrier for consumers changing their habits. Like there's lots of really great sustainable businesses out there, but if it costs 20, 30, 40% more than what you're used to paying, that's a really big jump for someone to make. And a lot of people can afford to make that jump, okay? So you kind of, you condition them to do it that sensor piece. So we'll give you great quality, we'll give you great value. We will be better for the planet because we won't overproduce, okay, right? We'll take away all that same sort of piece. We'll do the best possible practices. The money that we save from that, instead of us just taking it, what we'll do is we'll pay the workers better, we'll make positive impact in the world, and we'll make all those sorts of decisions. We can do all of that as a business, but I have to ask you as a consumer to make a trade-off, okay? And then this is you start to understand, well, what are the trade-offs that our consumers willing to make? We've all been conditioned that we need to get things instantly quick, okay? That, you know what, you need to order something today and it arrives the next day. Well, Actually, I think that's now changed or is in the process of changing. You know, and I can sit here and say that we sold to 110,000 people and we told them it would take six to eight weeks to get their order. And they still purchased that kind of came through from it. So time is the trade-off that we now focus on, which is that we say, we'll give you all of this really amazing positive stuff. You know, you can have all this greatness, but the trade-off is it's going to take me four to six weeks to deliver you those clothes. Okay. But that's a trade-off that we've already seen. We know people are willing to make because they just plan that a little bit further in advance, you know what I mean, like all these same sorts of pieces. And it's how do you tackle that through? You know, anyone who's saying that there doesn't a trade-off in some form that has to happen in this is, you know, is, is not right. But this is what we have to kind of go through. And it's just understanding the consumer behavior. What do you want to trade off in that sort of process? It's interesting, isn't it? Because it, it's, it's a model which we saw the furniture industry start using probably oh I'm gonna gonna get my dates wrong but I reckon about 10 years ago made.com launched with this same model of here's this sofa when we get a thousand orders or in two weeks time we will place the order with the manufacturer and then we will deliver it so there has been some consumer awareness of this model in the past but it's usually amongst the um kind of the early adopters I suppose have you found that in the fashion stakes as well so 
you know, pre-order has been like a, a kind of a model in fashion for, for even longer. So if you think back to catalogs, so I'll actually you know, be very honest, it's before my time sort of thing, like I've never bought from a catalog, but you know, and I'm not going to, I'm not trying to suggest that you have Chloe or anyone else who's on this, on this podcast. I'm not going to be insulting. I used to be the marketing manager who ran the catalog program at Pastime. So I'm all in on catalogs. So you can accuse me of that. It's fine. <laughs> there, you are there. Okay. But catalogs is again, it's a really interesting model. So you know, in fashion, catalogs used to put in products that you couldn't yet purchase, and they were basically getting the data to decide on how much they then went and go for it. But because the internet has accelerated this kind of me, me, me type culture, I need it now, I need it quickly, it changes that piece through. Like what we're trying to do is say, no, you can move that. And you know, this is the movement that kind of comes through from it. We've seen a few other people try to take that model, but you have to have a lot of confidence in your product and you have to have a really great kind of story and journey to take people on. But also, it's a lot different in terms of the supply chain and everything else that you have to kind of go through from it. And that takes a lot of work to kind of get, to kind of get right. You know, we were kind of thrown into it with Lost Stock and, and the scale that we got with Lost Stock so quickly that you had to learn these things. You had to get these pieces right. So we we're taking all that knowledge and then we we're reapplying that into this, this new sort of model. And that really is... And again, I'm saying all this without actually talking about what we do, which still finds, you know, I, I will do in a minute. I feel like I'm just teasing it out at this point in time. But it comes down to that sort of piece, which is that, you know, I talked about that old economy push model, which is I am the brand, I am the retailer, this is what you want. What we need to move to, and, and the thing that I get excited about is this idea of saying we can move to a, a pool model where we actually involve the consumer much more in the decision-making process, in the design process, and all these sorts of different stages, and link it into that piece. And I actually think the only way that we can make a real impact on the environmental and the ethical and all these sorts of different really important things is by fundamentally changing our economy from that push model to that pull model and make the trade-offs that happen in that, but the trade-offs are something that have to happen and they'll definitely be worth it in the longer term. Well, Kelly, I want to explore all of that in a lot more detail. Um, but before we do get into all of that, um, I think we should give you an opportunity to actually explain what you guys are doing at um, your business, at This Is Unfolded. And um, so, we, so we're no longer kind of like teasing it out of the audience. So give us the nuts and bolts of what you're up to at This Is Unfolded. Yeah, so basically from from our work previously with, with Malsey and you know helping kind of big retailers try to make better product decisions, we have then obviously you know ran through that through Lost Stock. And at the end of that, we decided that you know we can use our kind of skills, our knowledge, our kind of you know technical ability to try to do something very different. And that takes us on to this is unfolded. So this is unfolded is basically doing what I've just talked about doing, is that we are trying to build a pool economy kind of retail business from scratch. What that means in practice is we have basically developed an entirely new system. Uh, we have now run this for the last six months. And it's, in, it's all based on involving the consumer in the process and removing the waste from the whole model. So when I talked about that 30% that I kind of previously mentioned, what I'm basically saying there is that we are removing that from the whole model. So to remove that from the model, what we do is that we use data to create like a data framework around the products that we're going to design, which basically looking at what is working in the market, what do we think is going to be really successful. We then design kind of products, uh, kind of our, ourselves, and then we involve the consumer in the, in the process. So people, after they've purchased with us, they then become part of our creator group. And once you're part of the creator group, you give us feedback on future designs and future products that kind of come through. 
and that group is now you know into its thousands and the thing that's most powerful is that you'll put up designs and within 24 hours we'll get four or five hundred people telling us which ones they like which ones they don't like what they want to change all these same sort of processes what we then do is we then put the goods for sale but they haven't been produced we've not cut any of the fabric we've not done any of that same sort of process and what then happens is basically at that stage we then take the orders once the orders have been taken we then start production what it means in practice is that we've removed the waste from the model by removing the waste from the model we then make sure that products are fantastic quality for a really great price like our dresses are are 35 pounds on the high street they would be like 45 to 50 pounds but because we've removed that waste we then take the savings that are created and we then invest that into basically better worker wages we also fund education around our factories so our kind of minimal viable kind of products and, and kind of trial runs on this over the last six months we have funded over a thousand kids in education for the next 12 months and at the same time we also are making sure nothing is sent to landfill because we're not doing that overproduction, we're only using the resources that are actually wanted at the other end of that process. And the whole idea behind this is that we can create something that can compete with the traditional sort of model, the traditional sort of piece, but do so in an ethically sound and sustainable focused practice. Still not perfect, like there's loads of edges that you kind of want to run through, but in reality, the idea behind it is that this will hopefully replace that sort of fast fashion model and this sort of waste-driven model, the thing that we ask for consumers is it'll just take a little bit longer to get to you sort of thing. So, you know, it's about four to six weeks from order, but because we do it as drops, like you get updated all the way through it. We educate the customer about how the product is being made, all the same sort of piece that comes through from it. And the thing that I love the most is that around this, we have now built this community of amazing people who are fully in, bought into this as a model and this is a movement. And we've got them all together in one single place. And they're now all sharing with each other their stories of wearing the clothes, pictures, helping each other with styling and all these same sort of pieces that, that kind of come through to it. So, you know, from all of that, you know, truly awfulness from, from, from Lost Stock that had been impacted, uh, that we saw with Lost Stock that impacted kind of workers, we have tried to now create a way that can create, you know, really Lost Stock was a sticking plaster to this horrible situation. And now we're actually saying we're creating a model that can provide much better long-term impact and a much more positive environment, a positive outcome for the consumer, for the factory, for the worker, for the environment, all these pieces all happening at the same time. I love the fact that you love the fact you've built a community because I... I suspect that the model would work okay without the community, but the fact you're getting those two bytes of customer feedback, they tell you what they think about the designs before they have to put their money where their click, click is, I suppose. Um, and then you're able to use that community to keep them involved during the six to eight weeks of, of production. And then they become your ambassadors who bring in the new customers. I think it probably would work without that, but it's going to work hugely better with that community aspect. And that's a, a really powerful piece. One of the other things that we looked at was basically returns like returns is hugely damaging to, to you know 30 to 50 percent of fashion products sold online get returned so we actively worked with the community and what we came up with was a swapping concept so we pay for people to swap items within the community so if you get something and you know what you don't love what the shape is or the color is you can swap it with someone else in the community and we'll pay the postage between the two people 
So people are then connecting with each other through that community, through that same sort of aspect. But you're right, the community and, and that sort of piece is that everyone is pulling in the same direction. You know, we were, and you're getting to see so much more of the process. So for example, Collection 3 comes out for us in the kind of the, the middle of October. And we, were, we, we released some of the sample images last night. So the people who were seeing those, they had helped us pick the print. They'd helped us pick the shape. They'd helped us combine the two together. And then they get to see, this is what a sample looks like. This is the same sort of piece. Is there any other feedback? You know, for example, like one of the dresses, we got some feedback on that. So, you know, we've taken an inch off the length. And that's the sort of thing about being involved, having ownership. And that is the epitome of what I would describe as a, the pool model working in much, much more conjunction than the, the traditional sort of piece. Now, you mentioned fast fashion earlier, and I think it's, it's kind of one of those contradictions, those confusing things about fashion at the moment, about consumer desire, which is the fast fashion piece is driven by the millennials, the Gen Zs, the youth, if you, were, if you would, uh, which I've already outed myself as definitely not being part of. <laughs> I'm trying to hang on in there a little bit, sort of thing. Like they're, they're going to have to kick me out of those categories. I'm not going to go quietly. Um, but also, it's that sector of society who are pushing this desire for greater sustainability. And it just strikes me such a contradiction that we assume they're all, you know, buying ten pound dresses off Boohoo every five minutes, but also they're standing up with Greta Thunberg. You're obviously, you know, working much more deeply in this space than many people. Have you found there's a contradiction in that? Is it the millennials and the Gen Zs that are buying into your concept or is it the older consumer? So we, we, we have two consumer groups that we focus on and, and, and neither of them is, is probably the Gen Z sort of consumer. And, 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 I, and that's, that's just a choice that we've made considering our backgrounds, our consumer groups, kind of our ages as well, that, that, kind, of, that kind of come into that same sort of piece. I think that the... You know, fundamentally, the fast fashion model works for the vast majority of people, sort of thing, because of price and all these same sort of things. I don't think we should be demonizing consumers who make those decisions, because you know how that kind of comes through. But I think we're now starting to see is this awakening, and I don't think it's linked to just one demographic or just one sort of group. I think the thing that the challenge is, and it's the challenge that we are taking by the horns and that we're kind of operating our way through, is we need to make it as easy a choice to do that as it is to go to your fast fashion brand, your fast fashion retailer. And to do that, that means the price has to be accessible. That means that the product has to be as good, if not better, sort of thing for the price that is being paid that that kind of comes through. Like, I think a lot of people in this sort of space, you know, I think stuff like rental and secondhand and, you know, selling people like, you know, high quality basics, all of these things have a place to play in this sort of thing. But in reality, they are only going to be a relatively small part of this whole industry because those sectors are only a relatively small part of this full industry. And we need to change it at a much more fundamental level. I'm not trying to convince the person who shops at Boohoo just now to come and give us a go and try to do something else. Because as you said, they're not my early adopter customer. Do I think at some point that I will be able to convince that person? Of course I do, because I'm a founder, I'm an entrepreneur. So that means I'm unbelievably optimistic about everything at every point in time. But you can, if you make the alternative, like really powerful. Do you know what I mean? That you can kind of take the person on that journey. And if you can communicate, this is the benefit for you, because there has to be a benefit for them, but there's also a benefit for the planet, the world, the worker, every other element that kind of, that kind of comes through from that. I'm going to tap into that huge entrepreneurial optimism that you have, Callie, and expand this out a bit from your business 
beyond because clearly you want to make your business a success, but the mission that you're on in, involves inspiring the rest of the industry to kind of follow in your footsteps. So if anyone who's listening is like, yes, we need to start eliminating that 30% who, which is going to landfill. We need to start selling more product full price to stop the, you know, the huge rest of the waste that's happening in this industry. What would be your advice for anyone interested in starting to become a more sustainable fashion brand? Give us a shout. Happy to chat at any point for, for firstly. So that so if you are that person, like just it's Callie Russell, you'll get me on LinkedIn, you'll get me on Twitter. You can get me on Instagram, but I still find it weird when people get in touch with you via Instagram because I'm of that sort of age. People slightly younger than me and they think that's totally acceptable and I find it really strange. But I will, I will still respond uh, for her that kind of comes through. But secondly, too, from that is it's not enough to just think about the environmental piece of it is you've got to think about the consumer connected to that. And this is the bit where some people kind of fall down is that you go on this hunt for sustainability or this ethical type piece and you forget the consumer has to come on the journey with you. If you can marry up that with the consumer, that is the most powerful piece. And it's very, very difficult to do, but it can't be paying lip service to it. You know, everyone now who talks about kind of sustainable materials, these sorts of things, sustainable materials are great. Do you know what? In five years time, they will be the standard, okay? Which is fantastic. And, you know, I think it's a really great sort of piece, hopefully quicker. But there needs to be more. Like you need to think about the model. You need to think about the bit that underpins it. Fundamentally, you know, I think some people can change, but it's the it's the innovator's dilemma. Do you know what I mean? It's like if your whole model is mass production, you know what, loads of products every single week, that is fundamentally skewed to a system, a process, and an environmentally sound and an ethically sound type model that comes out the other stage. That's the bit that we need to that the bit, the bit that we need to change. Those people have to accept that they have to innovate now don't innovate now, as this becomes the norm with consumers in five years time, 10 years time, you won't have a business because everyone's moved past you and people don't want to shop that way. Or you'll have a much smaller business than you do today. Well, Callie, thank you for that advice as well. It's been a real treat getting to chat with you about the future of fashion retail. For anyone listening who wants to know more about This Is Unfolded, how can they find out more about your business? Please just head to thisisunfolded.com. When we're not selling, you can pre-register and you get first access. When we are selling, buy some of our clothes, basically, and give us a try. Do some good with your purchase. And yeah, let's try to change the world together. Sounds good to me. Well, Callie, thank you so much for sparing the time to be a part of this Future Focus UK Expo podcast series. And I hope we have inspired many more retailers and, and consumers to take a greater step on the sustainability for their clothing choices. And if you'd like to know more about my e-commerce focus podcast, then just head to chloelink.com forward slash FF. That's short for future focus. Thank you all for listening and do tune in for the next future focus UK Expo podcast episode. Thanks for listening to future focus, the UK at Expo podcast series. Look out for more podcasts in the series or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you want to stay up to date with all things UK Pavilion, links to our social media channels can be found in the episode description.